Taking a Walk with Buzz Knight. Well, William, it's uh, so nice to meet you, and uh, thank you for taking a walk here at the North Bridge in Concord, Massachusetts. Yes, one of America's most important historic sites, and I've visited a lot of them in the course of writing 12 novels. So you've been here a couple of times, I would gather, at yeah, this place. Yeah, I used to drag my kids over here at 9 in the morning on uh, a holiday morning, or even earlier than that, to see the... Uh, battle reenactments. Yes. I think that now that they're older, they appreciate my excitement. <laughs> but at that moment, they... At that moment, they didn't. No. <laughs> and, uh, well, of course, the reenactments still still go on. Yeah, yeah. And if you, if you have the right mindset and you allow yourself to travel back a little bit in time when you're, when you're at a place like this... Uh, you can you can get back there very easily. It's basically what I do in my novels. And no matter whether we're writing about the uh, 18th century, and I've I've written about that day in another book, uh, Harvard Yard, or whether you're writing about 1941, as as in my newest book, uh, December 41, and. I can see the uh, colonial troops coming down the hill that we're walking up. Uh, I can see the British back there on the bridge. I can see the, pot, the columns of smoke rising behind us where the British are burning the stores and munitions and conquered. And uh, it all comes to life for me. And my job is to bring it to life for you. Well, you just... Uh beat me to the question I was going to say for those that don't know where we are or haven't been here paint the picture and you just painted it so wonderfully yes. here I mean and uh, yeah. of course right now it's a quiet day here but at one point this was not such a quiet place right one little moment in time when this this spot became the the pivot point of uh, the rising and falling of empires, actually, when you think about it, uh, because up until the struggle at the uh, Old North Bridge that we just walked across, there was no expectation that the struggle would become as aggressively armed and violent as it became on that day, and then, of course, uh, continued for the next eight years. The British marched out from Boston, about 16 miles out to here, and uh, all of the uh, farmers and Minutemen gathered to tell them, no, you can't take our stores. No, you can't stop us from doing what we're doing. And uh, it was the beginning of the American Revolution. So when did you know that the history bug had gotten you? Probably when I was... Uh, a kid, seven, eight years old, uh, down in Plymouth, Massachusetts, with my family at the summer house we used to have down there. And we'd go out and visit the pilgrim sites and got all excited when the replica of the Mayflower came cruising in uh, in 1957. And... Uh, I really started then to have that imaginative skill to transport my, myself back to a particular place and time and see the surroundings that I was inhabiting 
like this space uh, the way that it all looked on a particular day when history was made in that place. And that's a long time ago. And then I read a lot of history books and things like that, and uh, that was what that was what got me started. And then, of course, I fell in love with all the historical movies of the late 50s and early 60s, like Lawrence of Arabia and Mutiny on the Bounty and pictures like that. And I decided I wanted to be a movie director. So where did, where did that end? Well, I went to Hollywood uh, and wrote... Well, first, I attended the USC Film School, where... Uh, I quickly figured out that the easiest way into the movie business was to write a good screenplay. And all of my screenplays tended to be about um, historical subject matter. I wrote one about the gold rush. I wrote one about the struggle for water rights in uh, Southern California in the 1920s. And all of these were admired. One even won a fellowship given by the famed Hal Wallace, the uh, producer of Casablanca and Yankee Doodle Dandy and a lot of other big movies. And uh, nevertheless, nobody wanted to produce them. And so was it just the whole I fundraise just, pitch thing well, that you were challenged with? or Oh, there are a lot of reasons why in Hollywood somebody doesn't want to produce what you've written. The thing for me was that a producer finally said to me, you know, the way you write, and when they tell you that, grab your hat because you're on the way out the door. <laughs> the way you write you ought to write a novel. And so, being supplied with what I called the arrogance of naivete, which every young person entering the arts needs to have, you know, that, that refusal to accept the odds, I said, okay, I'll write a novel. And I wrote one. And it was about Boston and the history of the city and back bay correct back bay and it spent 14 weeks on the new york times bestseller list and it's still in print 42 years later and it meant that i didn't have to have a real job anymore and you got a $7500 advance yeah <laughs> it was enough to persuade to persuade me to come back to uh, new england from southern california and um, after you almost killed yourself, oh. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You've done your research. You've dug deep. Well, if I'm with a man who lives by doing research, I better yeah. damn well do some research. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I fell off of a cliff, and I fell about 40 feet, and made a mess. <laughs> but I survived. I bounced back, as I have in other events as well. Uh, in the writing of the new book, December 41, I was sitting there at the desk 
in April thinking I promised them this book in six weeks, uh, the week before my, my, daughter's, uh, my daughter's wedding. Six weeks to finish six months worth of work. How am I going to do that? And then I had a heart attack at the desk. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. But I bounced back. I'm fine now. Um, well, you, and you as you like, can see, we're walking uphill, and I'm, to yeah. I'm talking at the same time. Well, so. you like walking. You are yeah. a guy who likes to, to walk or even, well, like I used to say, power walk, right? I used to run. I used to run uh, four and a half miles every other day, and then I finally stopped doing that. And um, I still like to get out and do a couple of miles every day and my wife does too so we uh, we use that as our uh, daily exercise well we live that in such a great area golf. too yeah you know? I mean to be able to yeah walk where history yeah you know is so rich and it's so yeah beautiful so back to when you cracked your code with with back, back bay. bay yeah um, what went into creating that code, basically, that you created? This ability to take history and bend it upside down and yeah. add these twists and turns yeah. and subplots. What, uh, how did you know you cracked that code? Well, all that I knew when I finished that book was that I had achieved the thing that, that Stephen King has always said. Let's go around. Uh, Stephen King has always said is at the heart of popular fiction and that is narrative thrust. I knew I had given the readers a propulsive experience, something different too because the, in Back Bay the chapters go back and forth from uh, past to present and then back again and that's pretty, uh, it's, it was pretty unique then. Not many people had been doing that kind of narrative structure, in addition to having all the oomph that, uh, that the book has. You know, fights and sinking ships, and battles and storms at sea. Lots of action. A lot of action. You yeah. feel like you're in the middle of a, of a, of a movie. Well, I was, because I was trained as a screenwriter at USC, I think like a screenwriter. I think from scene to scene, rather than from uh, internalized experience to internalized experience, which is, I think, the way a lot of novelists write. And um, I think that that has always helped me to write books that, that seem to be clipping right along, no matter what. And that's the main objective when you're working in the field of popular fiction. Uh, and I think it was Orwell who said the only real uh, barometer of literary success is longevity. And I figure Back Bay's lasted 42 years. Cape Cod, another one of my books, is now 30 years in print, 31. So I've had a fair amount of longevity in the, uh, in the, in the business of writing books. And I'm still at it. So you seem like a very uh, a gentle sort, uh, somebody who, um, you know, is uh, just got a, a, a calm a demeanor, certainly. How do you develop these sinister 
nasty characters committing uh, devious crimes and murders. You just read the newspaper. <laughs> That's all you have to do. You know, people, people uh, think that Stephen King is probably the most frightening ogre imaginable when they have never met him. You know, I've, I knew King years ago, and people would say, is he as scary and as crazy as we think he is? I said, no, he's the most normal guy in the world. But he has an imagination, and he is skilled enough to bring forward the elements of that imagination in order to create something uh, that captivates the world. And uh, on, a, on a smaller scale, I guess I'm sort of that same kind of person. Like King, I like the Red Sox when they're playing well. And uh, I read a lot. Stephen King is a great proponent of making sure that if you want to be a writer, you should be a reader as well. And, uh, and I write a lot. It's a discipline. It's, it's a process of sitting down every day for eight hours a day and trying to fill pages. Some people have page counts as writers. Uh, Robert B. Parker, who used to write detective novels, the late Robert B. Parker, would write five pages a day. Uh, King has a... I don't think he has a word count. He basically sits and, as he says, excretes his writing. Uh, and... Um, and then would, he would stop in the afternoon and, and read other books because he, he could write so fast. For me, it's a matter of time. Sitting at the desk for eight hours a day, whether I turn out a sentence or 25 pages. And, and I've had both of those experiences in the process of writing a book. And, um, and it's out of that kind of discipline, along with that screenwriting training and that... Uh, that awareness of what it is that makes a reader's or an, or an audience's emotions jump, makes their heart run faster and so forth. Uh, it's out of the application of discipline and the experience and knowledge that I've gained that I'm able to write the kind of books that I write. But it's like an out-of-body experience, isn't it? It can be. Yeah, that's true. It really is. I've had, I've had a few of those along the way where suddenly you're just, all you're doing is, cipher, is you're just a cipher for the, uh, for the characters. And they are doing what they were born to do. They were born in your head, and now they're out there in the world living their lives, and you are giving them a little bit of guidance, and they're taking you wherever they want to go. And that happened at the end of December 41 a couple of times. You know, Robert Frost once said, uh, no surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader. And I got surprised a few times in writing December 41, as I have with some of my other books, too. Where were you influenced with your sense of humor in, in, in the books? I think we all have to have a sense of humor, uh, especially these days. And naturally, if you grow up in a household with uh, Irish storytellers everywhere, like my father, you, you'll, you'll develop a sense of humor. It, it's, uh, and, and to me, getting a reader to laugh is, is harder and more satisfying than getting them to gasp in horror at something. 
and I don't, I don't have the experience of sitting next to readers and doing this, but I've been fortunate enough uh, to have a wife who waits until the very last uh, sentence has been written on the first draft, and then she reads the book, and I'll kind of eavesdrop on her when I think she's coming up to a certain point, and if I hear her gasp, at the midpoint turn, the big surprise right in the middle of the book. I'll, I gotcha, I know. I know now that I have you and I'll have every other reader. And, uh, and so it's just a natural instinct of mine that some characters are going to be funny, some of them are going to be smart asses. Uh, it, they're like the people we meet in the world, you know? So how long of a process generally for your books does it take from start to finish? Well, uh, I like to say that it's about three years. Uh, as, as one uh, writer describes his ex experience, it's a year of uh, planning, a year of writing, and a year of uh, selling. And uh, for me, it's something of the same experience. Uh, you adjust that timing a little bit, but between two and three years to write a book. And I have to admit that that's a little too long a span of time because the modern readership wants a book a year. And so the modern publisher wants a book a year. And it's, it's, it's a difficult task for me to fulfill because these books, all of them, uh, require a lot of research. In order for me to take you into American history, um, I have to spend a lot of time back there. Uh, I'll do a lot of traveling to places like this if I'm writing about the, uh, the battle at the Old North Bridge. Or, as I, as I wrote, about the British retreat in, uh, in the Harvard Yard. Or, in December 41, the new novel, which is about a German assassin who evades an FBI dragnet in Los Angeles on the day after Pearl Harbor because his job is to get to Washington and shoot FDR on the night that he lights the national Christmas tree uh, in order to capture some of his experience well he rides on the Super Chief the Grand Hotel on wheels the Super Chief no longer exists but one car still does the dining car from that train or as it was known that consist from that particular train the one that the characters ride on can be visited in the fantastic railroad museum in Sacramento, California. And so we went there and I walked onto that car and I took pictures of everything including the menus and all of the menus that they that they work from in the book exactly what was on the menu in, in December of 1941. And doing that helps to give me as a writer a sense of that, that out-of-body experience that you're referring to, uh, a sense of just being back there. You know, I, know what, I know what Santa Fe French toast tastes like, and I can create that experience for you. And once you've tasted the French toast in the breakfast scene on the railroad car, you'll go with anything I give you after that. You'll, you'll follow those characters anywhere, because 
I've brought you right down into their lives and into their experience. And that's why you do so much research when you write one of these big historical novels. And that is why it may take up to three years to write them. And maybe like stopping off at the bar at uh, one of the legendary haunts in L.A. We did that too, of. yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you're talking about the scenes in Musso and Franks, yes. which of course is, it was and still is a famous watering hole right on Hollywood Boulevard uh, where people like F. Scott Fitzgerald and Charlie Chaplin and uh, uh, many, many others were known to have uh, bent an elbow from time to time. If the walls could talk. I know, I know, that's right. And in my book, I have a couple of scenes in, um, in Musso and Franks, and it was fun to bring in a few Hollywood characters like Humphrey Bogart in one scene and John Wayne and Marlena Dietrich in, the, in another. They're in the midst of an affair, which is a rather unusual coupling, as you can imagine, and yet it really was going on. And um, I have a great ability when I go into a place like Musso and Franks to see the ghosts, you know, just feel, the, feel their presence. And, uh, and then go home and write about it. Or you have the ability to find that the Three Stooges had had a little short. That's right. right? Uh, That's the, right. The Nazi short. Yeah, you nasty, you nasty spy, it was called. And I've, I've watched it. You can find it on YouTube. And it's actually pretty funny. Of course, you need to have a certain sense of humor to like the, like the Stooges. And it's lost on my wife, but <laughs> and on my daughter. But, but that's my, that's the my way sons, that goes. My, know that. I know my sons like it too. Um, but I have I had a great deal of fun in creating American popular culture from the bottom to the top in this book. The first third of the book takes place in Los Angeles because, uh, first of all, Los Angeles was a hotbed of. Uh, neo-fascist activity yeah, which in, the I late, never knew. in the late 30s and early, early 40s. The book opens with that FBI raid on a neo-Nazi compound down in a canyon off of Sunset Boulevard. And that canyon and that compound are real. You can still visit them if you know where to look. And... Um, it's a creepy place, let me tell you. And I thought to myself when I first read about that place, that compound where they had built uh, power plants, water tanks, fuel tanks, and they had engaged a famous Los Angeles architect named Paul Williams. I don't think they knew he was black, by the way. Huh. They had engaged a famous Los Angeles architect to build a 40-room mansion uh, the plans for which you can still find in the UCLA archives, a 40-room mansion that was to have been Hitler's Western White House. So wow. it was really an interesting place, and I said, someday I'm going to begin a novel there. This was after I'd read a magazine article years ago about it. And then I got the idea for this particular story. I got the idea for it while I was watching the movie Darkest Hours with Gary Oldman as uh, Churchill. Sure. Fantastic amazing. movie. Yep. And there is an amazing scene where Oldman is on the phone talking to FDR down on a secured line, down in the basement of his headquarters, 
Uh, he's begging FDR for help. France is falling. The Nazis are advancing on Dunkirk. And FDR says to him, I can't help you because American politics ties my hands. And as I was watching that scene, I said to myself, in a year and a half, right after Pearl Harbor, Churchill and Roosevelt will stand together on the south portico of the White House and light the national Christmas tree. And what a target they will make. And out of that, that insight grew that novel. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it was like a lightning bolt. Some novels, uh, some novels take a long time to pull up out of the, uh, the earth of your consciousness. Uh, and sometimes you're just hit by a, uh, a lightning bolt. And wow. there it is. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, um, so in closing, I wanted to ask you, um, thinking about the times and how many... Every day there's another strange story, certainly... Uh, coming out of the the January 6th, uh, you know, hearings, you know, Mike Pence uh, afraid to, you know, get into a car with a, uh, you know, Secret Service uh, member, you know, just these things that are wilder and wilder. So, I mean, uh, might we ever see something written by William Martin around these current times? I think about it, I wonder, and then I ask myself, who do I really want to spend time with? Uh, the people who are running around today, like uh, Donald Trump, or FDR and Winston Churchill, and Abraham Lincoln in one of my earlier books. And I come down on the side of the giants. Uh, I think that it's important that we draw lessons from American history that will, in a way, light the pathway for us ahead because we need those lessons from American history. Um, We need to understand uh, that those people, like the people of today, were human beings. They had had foibles, faults, flaws, and aspirations. And they found a way to subdue the foibles, faults, and flaws and answer their, their best aspirations. And that's what we hope for in, uh, in the modern era as well. Whether we get it or not remains to be seen. And I will keep, uh, keep looking to history because it's a, great, it's a great teacher for all of us. I like that recommendation better than my suggestion yeah. <laughs> or my my thought on yeah. it let's just say well yeah. um congratulations on your latest body of work thank uh, you december 41 but yes. all of your your great work and uh i'm grateful that well, uh, we got to take a walk this is fun i've enjoyed this this is this is uh, a great way to do an interview thank you william yeah thank you taking a walk with buzz knight is available on spotify Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.